you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Oh, we're on the TARDIS, huh? Exactly. I think vintage, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've lost track of which exact doctor and season and so forth, but I discovered I, I keep finding cool backgrounds when I'm... I, Kind of, I don't know. Just each time, I try to wear. Hey, spice it up for uh, for our podcast. We're right. a different different background. Here's the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame T-shirt for today. Nice rock. There we go. I've got. First of all, there's a real cool humble bundle right now that has all the modern Doctor's comic books series. And yeah, you saw that, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I was looking at that. I'm like, man, that's a pretty good deal for twenty five, thirty bucks. But I finally have my office that I can get moved into. It's an old bedroom that's getting converted. It's separate. and But, oh, my gosh, not there yet. I got a really good, quiet AC, so that'll be nice. I got a nice background, so I can use backgrounds again. It's just plain paint. But, man, I had to crawl through the attic over... 50-year-old stuff stored up there, dust and dirt and mouse poop and cobwebs. <laughs> and I can't, I had, I was like dust covered all over. I'm doing the like walking and puffs of dust are coming off of me. Wow. So it, I haven't gotten everything moved. That's why I still have the same background. <laughs> but you know what I was thinking of doing? I was thinking yeah. of taking a picture of this and using that as my digital background. <laughs> <laughs> See, that'd be funny to just, this is how it's always been. Yeah. So how are you? Of, what? You take a picture of the attic and have that be, <laughs> this is where my office is. Yes. Actually, as I mentioned, I'm actually up in the attic. I'm on third floor of our house up in Skynet. And it, I, the background is me at my desk surrounded by stacks of books. And however I conduct my business, it's getting crowded. I'm getting a little cluttered <laughs> where I just, I don't know, I don't need to keep everything at arm's length, but if I'm working on multiple projects or if I, it just seems to be that things accumulate around me and every year, half year, quarter, I really have to do the, okay, the new things, let's get them into the shelves, into the boxes, get, what am I really working on and needing? And I wish I was better about that. There was a time when I was, but what's weird is once you have clutter, it's easier to just keep putting another thing on top of the stack. <laughs> another archeological layer. Yeah. Like when you have an empty <laughs> coffee table and you put, your mug on and it's like it's the only thing on there get a coaster but if there's a whole bunch of stuff on there then it's easy to just put the next magazine and the next book and whatever else it might be right so, no really this issue of games magazine i want to do all the puzzles and words things in it of course the new one looks good so i'll grab the new one so when i'm done 20 years later no i will do these stack of 200 games magazines honest i will yeah i'll tell you one of the things that finally broke me of like I used to get tons of magazines, probably like 30 a month. Wow. So like a magazine a day, because back when it was driven by advertising and so forth, you can get a magazine for 12 bucks for a year, a dollar a month. And it always just seemed to me, all I need to do is get 
one laugh, one good idea, one pleasant experience out of each magazine. And for a buck, that seems to be right. worth. But then it would get to, wow, I'm subscribed to lots of different things. And I really read many of them, but not everything. And after you've had Ohio Magazine stack up, we're wow, out of this entire year, I read the best places to go hiking in Ohio. And everything else just kept stacking up. And of course, in the era of everything is online instead of in print. And how often do I, I used to be that that was my lunchtime ritual. When I stopped being in a workplace, but was on my own, I go to Chipotle or something like that. And I read a magazine while I eat. And that way you can devour magazines as well. When you're working at home all the time, I hardly ever do that. If I'm eating at my desk, I'm doing things online. So I guess what I'm trying to say is all that has led me to drop a whole bunch of different magazines when you finally just can't escape the conclusion of, wow, all this paper keeps coming into my house and it's still in its plastic bag. I haven't even <laughs> unbagged it for a year. That's not right. So I still read Wired. I still read Rolling Stone. I still read certain things really quite, quite religiously. Or also if prices go way up, I still I used to read Time and Newsweek every week because they don't have exactly the same coverage, the same political viewpoint, et cetera. Time kept going at a reasonable price, whereas Newsweek went five times as expensive. And I was like, wow, is Newsweek five times as good as time? Yeah. Then my like smart shopper thing kicks in. And it's I'm just not paying something like, the, I don't know, $300 subscription for a year. That means it really is like just doing the math real quick. Six bucks an issue? I don't know. I go online. Where do I get most of my news anyway nowadays? And it's not really true. Online, you get snippets. You get all the little right. bits and you have to put the mosaic together yourself. Whereas I really like where there's a good three, four, five page article and they really have analyzed it and they give historic context to it. And the writers are often not just guys spouting their opinions. They're learned. They're knowledgeable. And they know how to structure a sentence. They know how to, what I mean. A lot of those <laughs> magazines now, you can actually check out of the library digitally through over Overwatch, Overlook, <laughs> Overdrive, that's it. Overdrive, exactly. Uh, Hoopla and <laughs> even their own apps and stuff. And you could check them out and read them because Business Insider, Newsweek, all of those, I don't read often. No way I'd pay the money to subscribe, like you said, but I'll see a couple interesting articles. I'll check them out of the library, read them sitting at my desk, return it, and I'm done. And Colin had a really great way of expressing Oh, I got all this stuff. I don't want to get rid of it. I've got these magazines. They've got to be interesting. I keep getting them. He says, mm -hmm. you get crippled by the potential of that. That it, Exactly. It, there's something that, good in there. I can't let it go because there might be right. something good in there. And then, yes. But <laughs> it's never enough of a priority to go do it. So you got to realize that. And I look at him. I'm like, okay, dude, you've got like $4,000 worth of Green Lantern toys, figures, statues, and comics in your room. <laughs> that's a collection that's different okay well, now i'm collecting every magazine that comes out i guess it's a matter of viewpoint like obi-wan said <laughs> yeah you know but, but there is i don't know i make that trade-off of utility versus just the joy of owning it like for instance i have lots of music in the house there's no cd that's coming to the house that i didn't immediately rip and then be able to listen to on my computer and back when it was before digitization because i was actually making the transition from vinyl to cds way back when <laughs> i actually had a organized that everything i had was in alphabetical order and then there were but there was a whole new section so that when i got it in it didn't just go into the shelves and then maybe never get listened to kind of like a library i modeled myself after that you have a new section then after you've listened to it and read the liner notes because i'm that guy too when i'm listening to it i take out the little unfoldable insert and 
let's read who's on this album. Let's read some of the lyrics and that kind of thing. And then finally, either each one as it goes in, as it gets played, goes into the shelves, or I let them accumulate into a little stack. And then it's that little, let's take 15 minutes to go, boop, boop, boop. oh, there's not enough room in this entirely full shelf. So Reorganize! Now, you know what I mean? And, <laughs> and I, I, if we haven't talked about this, its own weirdness, I really, it matters to me that I have things in order. It isn't a collection until you really have it that you could go and get immediately what you want. And so you get real good at alphabetizing. From early on, my files were in good order. My books were in order. But it also matters that it's your system. So for most people, it's by author's last name. But there's some things like puzzle books where I guess the author is Dell or something like that. So you have all the Dells together, even though you know, the editor was Kathleen Rafferty, from what I remember way back long ago. And then skip through all the joys of alphabetizing, except like when you do music, it's not clear. Like Elton John is a real guy, but his last name is not really John. It's Elton John as a single thing together. Tall. You don't put it under T, you put it under Jethro. But that's not for everybody else. That's I don't know. Adele is a single word, so that's under A. But if you have a real guy, I don't know, John Bon Jovi, is it under J for Jovi? No, it's under Bon Jovi because that's the group name. So there are all these little decisions. But he also had solos. So you keep and, and the solo seems... stuff with the band, but you, right. then you have some artists that were in like four different really popular big bands. <laughs> it, it, when I finally started to digitize and I started to have my shelves match digitizing, as you to the computer, everything is just a character string. So it doesn't matter whether you think Brian Adams should be under Brian or Adams. It's to them, B, Brian Adams going across. And so then I really did arrange my shelves so that there would be things in the right place. So Brian Adams was an easy move just from B to B, whatever. Frank Zappa, you got to take all your Zappas and move them up into F. And I have a lot of Frank Zappa, so it's going to displace everything in my shelves from F on to get the Zs back up. It really was one of those few times it was like, man, it's really my obsession with having things in order is being pushed around by, God, this is a ton of work. Am I really going to keep going with this? And then you start to say, okay, every time that I do this Zappa to F, it's really a disruptive thing. Maybe I should scan forward in the shelves and find out how many Strom Thurmonds. That's only going to go from T to S. But if it's, boy, anything that's going to make a big move, then I was like, let's gather all the big moves and do them one big disruption instead of a cascading set of disruptions. It just makes me pissed. But they're all okay. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think that's partly our age there too, because I have with my comics mostly that right. if let, let's say I took each of my CDs, I got those little stickers and I just put a number on them. Didn't matter what order they were. I just went through and put a number on every CD. Then I entered it digitally into my camp, my music digital catalog with the number. Then my digital catalog is completely in order. I can look at it. And, oh, I want Brian Adams. It's number 37. Then I can go and oh, 37. And the shelf itself doesn't matter. I've been doing that more. My comic books, I got them obviously a series together, but I don't have all of Alpha Flight Volume A in the same box as Alpha Flight Volume B or 2 and Volume 3. They're separated. And then mini series are elsewhere, but I can look on my collector app and I can see all the alpha flights. It tells me what box to go to. And that, that, that we're exactly alike. They, yeah. Having when I've been cataloging my collection over the last year and a half, 
I really didn't resort everything because the task was just too massive. <laughs> so I have a series of numbered boxes, and I think I'm up to 130 now. I really have a lot of comic books. And, but then if I, what you just said, if I had to put together all the Avengers, and it's not even, unfortunately, volume one and volume two, is that I've accumulated over the course of time and have them in kinds of sets. And my disruptive event of moving from Schaumburg, Hoffman Estates, that is, out to California and then back, I have two years worth of, I just accumulated, I kept reading, but I never integrated them into the collection. And then that's happened for the last 20 years that I've never done a full collection integration. So I've got a scattering of various different things. And if ever I had to pull them all together, I know I have to go to box three and box 13 and box 53 and all that kind of stuff. But as long as I have the virtualized catalog, I don't have to do that. I can find anything that I need that I have uh, inventory. And it doesn't help when Marvel will have Amazing Spider-Man and then they stop it and they change it to some other thing. And then they change it back to Amazing and they say, this is legacy number whatever. And the right. whole organization, it's, it's partly a mindset thing. If you yeah. if your mind is comfortable that I do have it organized, then you don't go crazy with it. And it's also the same I've been finding with getting rid of things. There's so many things that I find, oh, I don't want to get rid of that. Because like Colin said, I, you get yeah. crippled by potential. <laughs> but a few of them I've gotten rid of, and then I totally forgot about. And then I'll just be lying in bed and I'll remember it. And I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I, my life did not stop when I got rid of that. And right, I haven't right. wanted to look at it for three years. So I, it's good that I got rid of it, but I remember it. So if I really want it, I can go find it. So I hear you. It's a mindset thing. Yeah, You know what? It, I unfortunately have that weird. So I've mentioned way long ago when I first started my consulting practice in Chicago, I sold comic books in order to finance the first get my office set up get my certifications whatever else it might be and what i sold was the first hundred fantastic four and the first hundred spider-man amazing spider-man which nowadays of course are through the roof in value and so forth and though i continually really do logically rationally say what was the right thing to do i really needed that money that was the best way to do it i still miss them terribly (laughs) the collector thing in me is just I really have them in my hand and I let them go. And I don't know what that is in me that they're mine. They're still there. They were mine. I, it hurts me. It's a weird thing. I, I, this thing of getting ready to sell things now, I think I'm ready to do it because I have not had the same access to my collection every day. They're not in my bookshelves around me at home. They're all off in my storage lockers, plural, which is its own sign of trouble. And yet, and I'm going to do it because the money will be worth it. We'll go on the trips and we'll buy, we'll improve our house and whatever else it might be. And yet there will not be a single comic book that I sell that I won't remember that I had it <laughs> and be sad. And so uh, whatever that is, genetically in mind, my parents didn't give it to me. They weren't collectors slash hoarders like I am. There's just something weird about yeah. I, if I have anything. I want one to end. I want all of them. And I like to have them in all in good condition. And so I wish I understood more about what that was. There's little psychological traits that I'm sure are linked to exactly the age that you first read or poop or whatever else it might be. You know what I mean? And yet I've been able to manage it so that I'm not obsessed about it. It's not I I don't think I'm obsessed. I guess someone with 40,000 kind books, other people would look at it and say, well, that's a lot. And that's really, that's something, what's the most constant thing you've had in your life? 
not buying anymore, but reading comics? Probably yes. I've been doing that since I was four, and now yeah. I'm seeing <laughs> Well, so- I think it, it's Tony Robbins talks about this a lot. Whether you care for him or not, he does yeah. say some things that make a whole lot of sense. Is mm-hmm. that you if getting rid of your collection, get rid of books, even if you have forty thousand, you just get rid of one. It's that one that it'll bug you and it's not complete. And you love your collection and you want to keep collecting it. And it would be very painful to get rid of things. But then you reach a point where you're like, you know what? Those have been sitting. I haven't touched them. And it's more painful to me that I'm stuck at home and I'm not traveling the world. I have the potential. So it's becoming more painful to keep them than get rid of them. And, right. and, and eventually it tips that you decide yeah. what's really more important. And of course, having my own life, my solo life, it was different. Now that I have Colleen in my life, I do want to. She doesn't care about the comic books. She shares about the potential of the comic books to turn into money. And she's not like that. She's not saying, although she's really good about letting me be about with all my little weirdnesses. Because She'd be quite all right with you selling them, though, and going on a trip. But And it will be, exactly. <laughs> Just that the joy I will get from seeing Colleen happy will be worth whatever I do to sell them. Whereas before, I don't know, I did some cool trips. I went to Banff, Canada and stuff solo and those kinds of things. And yet it, it won't be as memorable. It won't be as cool and worth it as in the noble thing of making sure happy wife, happy life, that Colleen, my love, the love of my life is happy. That's worth whatever accum- I've accumulated up until now, or at least I think it will be. Right. The thing will be, hey, I sold all these comic books. We went on a trip and then it rained for seven days. We we got nothing to do that'll be ah, i wish that sacrifice was more <laughs> worth it instead this was a washout and yet i still made the big sacrifice damn it yeah oh, that, we'll see if that ever happens yeah i understand that a hundred percent and but <laughs> like i worked out the comic book store and i look at the glass case with all the star wars stuff in it and i'm like oh i had one of those i'd love to have it oh this looks so good oh i love it. and i'm like yeah i, I i'm like I, i'm 50 some years old do I really want to buy this toy I had when I was a kid so I could put it on a shelf with all the other things I have on a shelf? And I've right, been getting a right. little better about stopping myself. I have a much harder time with books. It, it, oh, I've wanted to read that. Oh, it's only $3. Oh, That's I want right. to read that one. I have a hard time with that. So I'm still working on it. <laughs> yeah. There's a cool convention coming up in Pittsburgh called Pulp Fest. And it, it's like in its 50th yes. year. It's been running for a long time. And hey, for those listeners, before there were books and paperbacks and comic books there were pulps these were things that were printed from like 1900 to the 1940s they were printed on very cheap paper but they were meant to be mass entertainment they were meant to be pretty much disposable but great things came out of them that's where tarzan started the shadow doc savage we all tarzan and cthulhu exactly yes conan from robert e howard a lot of their stuff was first in there hp lovecraft so this convention coming up in Pittsburgh, they're having an estate sale. A guy who was a massive collector, probably much like me, and all, everything from his collection of however, let's say 70, 80 years worth of good stuff, it, they have lots of things for the auction, like 220 lots. So imagine how much that is. And just that, I am so much wanting to be, hold my little my, my little number with a stick up in the air and say, I will take the entire Shadow Collection, all 600 plus. I don't think they've actually all been reprinted as paperbacks, so you'd be buying them as the pulps. And so these things, were they have 70 years vintage. They really were, of the time, the most popular thing going on. It's history. There's 
you just go walk into that hall and it's like, oh, this smells like old paper. What an intoxicant. I love that thing. And so I'm not going because we have other things already going on that weekend. And yet there's some part of me that wants to just say, cancel all the other plans. Yeah. <laughs> just see it. To just see, he really has the original Weird Tales with the first adventure of Conan. How freaking cool is that? That's very and the cool. First, the first Tarzan and the Jewels of Opar. This isn't meant to be show-offy, but it's it's just the coolest thing to be. Those things are very historic to me. It's kind of like having a first print of the Time Machine by Wells or any number of other, not even just science fiction, historic books. Don't you want to be the guy that has first edition of thomas aquinas you know what i mean yeah. or something like that. I, i've got <laughs> a, a couple issues of fantasy and science fiction that have the stephen king stories that became the gunslinger so i have those original stories in the magazine so that's one of my prizes i love yeah. that yeah and another thing is anybody who's going to be at this thing i love those people because it's not all like the pulps if you will be, became the men's adventure paperbacks where did Remo Williams, the Destroyer, and Mac Bull and the Executioner, and name the other things that have gone on, James Bond, they all started with this model of what happened in the pulps. And so then to, they're going to have all of those too. And I'd love to be like, man, I'm missing some Matt Helms. If I can get and fill in my collection of Matt Helm paperbacks, I have all the James Bonds, but it'd be like, oh, that's the first thing that it came out. It wasn't when they reprinted them and they all consolidated what the covers looked like. They actually were quite distinct because when Ian Fleming was first doing them, they didn't know it was going to do well as a series. And there's just something about the historicity of it that I would love to be there with. Someone bought this in like 1964 and lovingly held on to it for 60 years. Because I'm like that. You can look at my stuff from when I was first aware of keep it in good condition. I have Doc Savage paperbacks from the late 60s that look like they're just on the shelf today. No broken spines, no chipped covers. They're perfect. And that that's because I loved them for 50 right. years. It's pretty cool. Maybe a little weird, but it's pretty cool. Right. Someone like me would appreciate the hell out of everything I have. 98% is in great condition. You know what I mean? I, and that I imagine that that's what this guy is, that he, he loves these things. See, so. now I want to go. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Al. I know. Here I am. And it's only Pittsburgh. It's not like reading about it going on in Missoula, Montana. It's like, how can I get out there? An hour it's away. It's a two-hour drive. Yeah. Uh, so, maybe I'll go there for a day and just Just don't go on the auction day. <laughs> not that's That would might be my kryptonite. That's exactly right. So let me ask you this. This is something I thought of a couple weeks ago. So you just mentioned all these pulp things, and I was thinking about how science fiction has changed. Because you go back to the early stuff, Frankenstein or Jules Verne, 20,000 Leagues and all that, and it was very fantastical that they really made things up, but a lot of it started to come true. And then you move into like the 50s, give or take a little bit. And after the war, how science fiction changed with aliens and you know that and now we were reading the jane hawk books and science fiction now deals a lot with computers and technology and like that's current so, science if you will yeah. yeah and even the stuff that's in space isn't so much fantastical as it is some technology or something like right. that what we currently have and some little big, bit of extrapolation to say when we conquer faster than light travel when we conquer fuel weight and stuff like that and get solar sails and just that it's speculative fiction but not out of the thin air it's more wow that stuff is really close we are going to get there one day yes yeah. and 
And, you know, you look at Star Trek, the original, really a lot of those episodes were political. They were making a cultural statement, whereas now the series that are out now are like a long-running story. It's They're individual episodes, but they keep continuing. They're not... It's just, it was fascinating to me how science fiction has changed. And if I wrote a story, steampunk's a good example. Steampunk still is around. People love it. And it hasn't changed a whole lot from when it started, not too long ago, but it deals with that. We're not going to explain how steam is controlling this robot. It just is. But now people really want things explained, the science behind it. You have to, and Doc Savage, you mentioned how different things are from all of that stuff. Exactly. It's fun. Some science fiction, it really is, if you will, like comedy, by the premise, by the bit. They set up the thing that you have to believe into and then just run with it. Whereas there's other things that are more rigorous. Art science fiction has always been like, the, you, I admire those people more. The Werner Vinges, I hope I say his last name correct, and Michael Crichton's and stuff like that, where they did the research. They talked to the smart people besides themselves, and they said, if I'm going to write about nanotechnology, I want to make it believable, not just rabbit out of a hat, fanciful. You know what I mean? I sometimes like the sheer imagination that goes with various different things, but I also like where it really is doing close to the science and just taking in a dystopian or utopian fashion into the future and speculate about that. I've always liked series fiction more than individual things, so I'm used to them playing it out and even like book by book in the series, you deepen the experience of what would it really be like to have teleportation, that distance no longer matters. And that in the series of books themselves, they make breakthroughs, or at least they take it in different directions. And you're like, well, this guy didn't have just one great idea. He had many great ideas. And he wove them into this cool plot of what are all the implications of energy is free instead of energy is expensive? What's that going to do to change the world and stuff like that? I love that stuff. Yeah, the speculation. And for me, I've always, and it's probably just because of when I grew up, but I've always liked the more fantasy elements of sci-fi. Star Wars being a big one. There's no explanation of how lightsabers work. There's no explanation of hyperdrive or anything. It just was. And I still kind of like that. And But uh, now a lot of people nowadays are like, they didn't explain how that worked. And it seems stupid. It wouldn't work that way. The series I wrote, Magic, I know my editor was saying, you don't explain how the magic works, where it comes from. And I'm like, because it just is. It exists. They channel it. That's all. That's all that's needed, I feel, for the story. But our people are like, you need more explanation. You need to get the science. It's not a science story. It's a fantasy. <laughs> it's, I actually, I think, I, hats off to people that they don't just have the, the MacGuffin, if you will, the, hey, science just works, run with it. I love where they've actually put the thought into making a real, like a system as to how it could work. There's a great series called Mistborn by Brandon Sanderson, if I remember correctly, that he really talks about. Here's how these various different elements have these various different properties, and that by following them, ingesting them, you then can get bursts of teleportation or bursts of transforming yourself. And there's 12 different things. And of course, there's what's the mystery one? What's the one that negates all the others? What's the, and the fact that he, there's an entire glossary in the back of the book, if not the first book, then for sure by the third, that really goes through the allomancy of it. You know what I mean? How would this all work together? And that, in some cases, you're storing it in yourself. In some cases, you're storing it like in bracelets that you wear, and you tap that to tap into it, and that, and it can be addictive, and it can be transforming to the human body. And wow, he really thought this all the way through. This wasn't just, I need a way to get from point A to point B that's not flying eagles. 
And so they just make up. I have a spell that does that. I like the rigor of, wow, he really took notes it's, and said, I, and if I'm going to name which element is doing this, there's just enough. Of, if you know the periodic table, you could say, yeah, I would have picked bismuth there too, because it does have this and this property, and that's how he's using it. So hats off to people that are able to do total magic systems. I don't know, the DND books that they started to have. Here's how magic works, and here's like how it, how some power is inexhaustible, and others you use them up. And I, something, and, and maybe that's the interesting fantasy versus science fiction elements. Yeah. There's been a huge shift nowadays in bookstores where they actually separate the fantasy from the science fiction. They used to be all lumped together. It was a little bit jarring to go from Isaac Asimov to Joe Abercrombie because they're very different in what they write about. I, I do appreciate and enjoy both. I just feel that not every story, every fantasy or sci-fi story has to explain has things. To have that. It, it, because, and this is the great thing about sci-fi, and we've talked about that before. You can have a story that, oh, my favorite example is the old Star Trek with the guys that were half black, half white, and the other guys that were half white, half black. Political <laughs> statement for the mid-60s. I understand that. But the story was set in science fiction. So you can have science fiction as a setting for a completely different story, a coming-of-age kid story, which doesn't necessarily need the explanation of how the engines are working. This kid saw his dad flip the switch, and he flips the switch, and the ship goes. That right. type of thing. It's just where the focus is sometimes. Exactly. I just disagree when people slam something because it didn't give the explanation, even if it didn't need it. They're coming in with their preconceptions and their pre-needs, if you will. And even though the story is really good, somehow it didn't satisfy them because of that thing that's particular to them, not for yeah. the quality of the story. And actually, I, before we move away, you just said something really important. Old Star Trek was very often very political, very social conscious. And I will hear sometimes comments about current science fiction that, why are they bringing all this politics into it? Why are they bringing all the civil rights? <laughs> Jemison, right, won like three years in a row for her yes. series of If you don't think it's always been in there, you haven't been paying attention. Yes. There's always been, like, there's no comic book that didn't have commentary. The X-Men are mutant outcast misfits, and yet we got to find a way to integrate them into society. And the Black Panther wasn't, hey, a token Black guy it really was. There's a whole society that's worthy of our respect and our right. acknowledgement, and they don't care that you're so white that you can't see that. And I say that really awkwardly, and I apologize, but there's never been a time where science fiction wasn't talking it, about how society is and speculating on what it will be like in the future. It's, you know, it's, it's absolutely about what we like about today and what could be better or right. what could be worse. Science fiction of the 50s, which 40s and 50s, I love. I have a collection of books of stories published from the 40s and 50s, all under the sci-fi classification. Yeah. I just love that energy of, they had about it, that mysteriousness. We know we're on the verge, but what will it be? But I've said this about nerds and geeks. Go back to the original Star Trek. Go back before that, that nerds and geeks for the most part, <laughs> have been way more inclusive without even thinking about it. I played D&D &D with girls when I was younger. I played as a female orc who had green skin. Comic books, the same way, like you said, you go back, Daredevil 
has always been blind and enhanced hearing. Professor Xavier was always, not always, from the beginning of the comics, in a wheelchair. So, so all this, we have to be inclusive and diverse. Thank you all for catching up to the nerds and geeks because we've done it forever. Colin put up a shelf at the store that focuses on characters that are diverse characters that have disabilities. And he had one for pride, all the pride characters and some of them going back several decades. So it's not completely new. Exactly. Again, thanks for catching up world. <laughs> yep. It's, this is, I've done multiple talks about comic books over the course of these last, honestly, 30 years now, probably. But one of the ones I'm really proud of is, and so I did one for Kent state where they had a particular year where they were embracing the, uh, combined aspects of journalism and social studies and law and things like that. And where do you see those things reflected in comics? And so one of my talks was about diversity. And as opposed to, hey, here's how we have both mongoloid, caucasoid, negroid, terrible old names, but that's worth talking about because that's how old-fashioned they are. And wow, what a breakthrough. We had a Japanese superhero. We had a black superhero. That was like the first 15 minutes of my talk. And then it was, here's all the ways in which comic books have included diversity. And it was what you said about differently abled people, about aliens and how do we integrate them into our society, Martian Manhunter, about our own, on our planet. It isn't only what we think of as the human race. What about the mer people from Atlantis? What about uplifted animals? What about, I just, in every way that I can think, how about robots? How about robots that become sentient and when do they get because they're intelligent enough to be treated as an actual human being. And those are things that, you know, it's comic books, science fiction often delved into them, like you said, but it was just that kind of thing of, here's all the ways in which we've already, in these books, taken tentative steps towards understanding what would it be like to really have, wow, whales really are dolphins, so are crows, so are pigs, and it's not a difference in kind. It's yes, no, smart or not, human or not, there's a scale. And when are we going to get to that we start to treat some creatures like octopuses, like they really think differently than us, but they think, and they don't even have a single brain. They have, it's everywhere <laughs> in their body, but they can open that jar and escape that cell as rigorously as any otherwise creative celebrate the fact that we don't get their intelligence, but they sure have some form of intelligence. So I love giving that talk because I often, you always look at your audience and it's very cool to see kids kind of stop looking at their phone and pay attention to, wow, I've never thought about this before. This is That's something cool. I'm going to look into. I love it. I love that the world is a big, wonderful, complex, messy, interesting place. And we've had examples of that throughout fiction for a long time. You know, what? Well, the example <laughs> that comes to my mind is uh, Planet of the Apes. I mean, th that right there, what's the theme? What's the statement? Yeah. We're treating these gorillas and apes and monkeys and everything badly in many ways. But what if they did get smarter and they're stronger and they take and over the world? They have know? the upper hand. And I've seen memes about that. I was like, wow, the kinds of things you're objecting to seem to be just as if you weren't the one that was making the rules anymore. The rules you've made that now they're being used against you. Like maybe you should not make rules that would have you treated terribly. What I mean, treat others as you have them treat play. you. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So, it, it, I'm a uh, segue time. 
Geek Fest is coming up Ooh. at the Akron Public Library. Yes, unfortunately, I can't and, and go. I can't go to that one, but it's. I'm going to see. I used their way of saying, "Would you like booth space?" Of saying, "Would you like a talk?" And maybe they already have a full schedule and they don't need me because maybe they're just going to have people wandering into the library and hitting the booths and stuff like that. And they'll have a little display of, "Hey, here's all the interesting geeky fiction of all the different kinds, steampunk and science fiction, whatever else." But I'm hoping that all libraries have a little conference room. And all they got to do is let me in there and I'll set up my laptop and my projector and we'll talk about diversity in comic books. We'll talk about the geography of the multiverse. I have many programs as you in the can, right. just as you have a couple. And it'd be cool to, I have a desire to share the fact that I've been reading these things for 60 years and look what I've learned. Hey, kids, right. You can turn into someone as horrible as me. It's not horrible. I'm a, I'm a, I have absolutely been made a better person by all this geekery that we've done the speculative fiction and the game playing and that kind of stuff. Yeah, definitely. And so I'm hoping to, I, I haven't heard from them yet. And so now I'm going to call them and say, so if that email didn't get through, can you give me just a yes or no? Because I really would like to do this, but I'm going to not worry about it and right. prepping my presentation and stuff if I know that isn't a format that's going to fit what you guys have put together for Geek Fest. I, I've but, been to the Geek Fest in the past and it's in the library. It's not super huge, but it, it was fun. There's yeah. some good tables. I have never been to that. So you've been to it. So yeah, what of, of what I just speculated, what parts of it were true? They have booths. They uh, had booths, tables, various area, everything. It really, just take the fan expo and, and cut it down to one twentieth. You got some booths. Okay. Now they did the signings. There were a couple authors and stuff there. In fact, I met an author there that I saw at fan expo, and it's been five years since I've seen him. I think they had various programs and stuff going on, if I remember right. But okay. at the time, all my kids were too old for some of the stuff they had, and we were only there for like an hour. Yeah, they got a variety. It's a fun thing. I, If I wasn't busy, I'd love to set up a table and put my book up and stuff. Exactly. And we'll have to see if it really is towards the kids section instead of towards the adult section, then it really is that maybe some of my talks would be, I don't know, too big, too they're not meant to be an introduction. They're meant to be a, an accumulation of cool things about comics instead of, here's some things you might want to try, kiddies. I, right. I don't really have a program for that. I really should. If you're just edging your way into comic well, books, what would I recommend? So what you do have, your talks, you can, they can be altered a bit so it's, it speaks to the kid as much as adults. I mean, it, it, a lot of it is the older comics and stuff. So... That that was focused more on the kids. So I don't think yeah. it'd be too difficult. It's very cool to have little yous and me's in the audience because when I'll be talking about here's Peter Parker, Spider-Man, et cetera, and they'll say, No, oh, that's Miles Morales. For you it is, that's your current generation. But I go back to where it first started, and the fact that they are that knowledgeable and can name like issue number as to when. Right. You know what I mean? And here's the Spider-Man of 2099. And it's just it's cool to, to one of the superpowers that little kids get is they can name dinosaurs that like adults can't right. that's the first times that they get to oh that's the stegosaurus and it's got and i love that kids have that aspect about comic books that they're so into them that they really have it, they've taken them in so much that they can cite you chapter and verse they, of what they've read they've got yeah. a whole life of loving comics ahead of them yeah yeah so you mentioned miles <laughs> okay so this is great let me throw my trivia question at you Oh, okay. Miles is not the first black Spider-Man. 
Do you know who the first one was? And as, let me just preface that with as far as I know, it's the first one. Okay. So I'm trying to, I know that there have been people that took his place because they needed to do a ruse. So didn't the kid that was the prowler play Spider-Man at one point to try to save his family and Spider-Man? Yeah. Was he, so I, him I, and Peter could be at the same spot. Yeah. That's like kind of, that. but there was someone he had his own title. He had his own. Burden. Yeah, there was not really. Okay. It's a trick okay. question. I'll give you that. <laughs> it's a trick okay. Dwayne from the electric company in Spidey Super Stories was <laughs> Spider-Man. Issue good. number okay. one. If you've got issue number one, go look. Dwayne from the electric company. <laughs> I, that, that's a good question i was at the store and they had a whole stack of spidey super stories i'm like oh my gosh i love these when i was a kid because they were perfect they're the perfect read when you're six seven years old and exactly. i was just flipping through and i'm like the first one i'm like oh my god Dwayne, he's black and he became spider-man for a story in that issue that was that's a good question that's three okay. now do you remember who easy reader from electric company was the actor yeah, of course, I wanted to say like LeVar Burton, but it's even before his time. Yeah. So was it Link from Mod Squad? No. Was it, it was Morgan Freeman. It really? Oh, man, that's very young. Yeah. Oh, my. That's, I would have gotten to him because I'm trying to think of who I know have done kind of like kids things, comic books things. And it wasn't, was it Morgan Freeman? No, Samuel Jackson was on. Wee Herman, right? yeah, yeah, Morgan. That, that's cool, that's yeah, good, very cool. <laughs> so, we're talking geek and nerd stuff, and there we just had the San Diego Comic Con release so much crap and so many trailers. There's so oh, many okay. things coming up. You mentioned right. the Sandman series and the Thor movie that's out, yeah. but the list of stuff coming is amazing. Yeah, as usual, I have incredible envy. I've only been to this San Diego Comic Con twice in my life because it's just what's the west coast instead of here. But it really is so much cool stuff gets talked about. The first trailers for movies, the big announcements about what's coming. So it is worth talking about. The Sandman is another one of those kind of like Watchmen that for a long time was thought maybe unfilmable. It's really so lush with how much is going on and fantasy elements and all that kind of stuff. But they found a way to do at least this 10 episode run. And so we'll see whether Neil Gaiman's brilliant work translates well kind of like his American Gods did. You know what I mean? That survived the yes. transition into TV I, and stuff. I liked like that. it. It was so, That was good. And that's a great book. Yeah. Kevin, our friend Kevin, who we, our birthdays are one right after the other in August. And that's how I just talked about this Sandman thing is just in time for our birthdays. We get nice. to see Sandman on the screen. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. I think that the Sandman is one of those things that if you're looking to give someone, you want to see how good comic books can be. You want to see how they're really literature. Just read a few issues of this. The literary allusions and the vocabulary and the size of his vision of how dream and hell and the world, how all these various different things tie together and how brilliant he is as using old versions of the Sandman during the course of the series. But they're not Morpheus. They're not and the whole concept of the endless, that there really are these forces of nature that exist in the world and that they don't always get along. But I don't know. He just every issue of the same and it was like it kept opening new doors and bigger at, but at, but enough grounding in in the world of comic books that i was very admiring of him and before i don't know that he was really well known in comic books 
So it's another one of those things like when you see someone who's been doing good comics for a long time and then they do their magnum opus, it's like, that makes sense. Jeff Johns has been a great guy for a long time. When someone like magically appears like Alan Moore, and maybe he was already known in British comics, but he came to the United States and did Swamp Thing, and it was just seismically better than what had gone right. on before. And so good for Neil Gaiman that he's getting acknowledged as being this Sandman is one of the first that won like the Nebula or the Hugo. Right. Old science fiction thing to not have it be a book, but to actually be a graphic novel. How cool is that? That yeah. it was so undeniably good. That even people who might have poo pooed comic books as being only for kids, even the science fiction grandmasters had to say, This is the stuff. Let's just really hope <laughs> enough people watch and get it and enjoy it that they keep going with the second and third season because it the story doesn't end after 10. This is it's going, it needs to go on. That's the fear that they're going to do these 10 episodes say, well, It was expensive and not enough people watched it. We're canceling it. When I'm it's one of those series that probably would reach its stride in like season two or three, that more people would discover it and then watch it and love it. But we're so nowadays, well, you, your first episode didn't do enough. Too bad. Everything's done. Yeah. I have some confidence in terms of Wanda and the Vision gave an idea of people really didn't get what was going on in the first one, two, three, four, five episodes, but they stayed with it. It was intriguing enough. It was amusing enough, whatever, that they could see that something was being done to build here instead of just being each episode individually, each episode has a cliffhanger, that they gave it time. And I'm hoping that the patience of people who would seek out the Sandman and that growing its audience, that they'll say, okay, I, I don't have to just give you two hours. I'll give you 10. I'll give I, you yeah. seasons in order to get, let you reach your stride. I'm hoping that's what happened. So, and We've got the Lord of the Rings TV show coming, which I'm hoping will continue right, the, to do well. Something of the Rings, right? The Rings yeah. Think, right? yeah. Actually, it's a, a not a, it's for once, not a prequel. It's a sequel, right? It's like something. After what, you know, it, I'm, I wish I had read more about it so I could, but I'm pretty sure that it's a sequel and it talks about, well, now Sauron has been defeated. You know, Saruman is off the picture, but the world isn't quite settled. There still are, there's threats. There's new things to be discovered, and we'll revisit the whole world of orcs and hobbits it, and all the race. Elves. A little bit I saw looks good, but it's so hard <laughs> because there's so many. We have Andor and She-Hulk coming up very soon. Andor is going to have K2S9, I think that's his name, with Alan Tudyk. Jeez. And some of the other, and Wakanda's coming, and some of the other trailers, I'm like, there's just way too much. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm happy, even if I end up, wow, I, there used to be a time when if there was a comic book movie coming out, I was there Thursday night at midnight, so I could see it the first moment of Friday, because that's when it was coming out. And actually, I didn't see the this new Thor movie for a week and a half after it came out, which boggles my mind, but it's because my schedule has not been my own and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> it really was good. I thought that they did a great combination of, it isn't only that one another, to me, kind of naive complaint about comic books is, oh no, they're changing everything. This has become a different race or a different uh, uh, gender or whatever else it might be. But comic books have also always been like that, too. There's been a number of times that there was a transition and that got handed off to another person to carry the baton for a while. Iron Man did. Captain America did, et cetera, et cetera. So Jane Foster as Lady Thor, just this color Thor, it, she's really good. But Thor is not out of the picture. He's actually the disgraced, unworthy Thor from comic books where the hammer rejected him. You know what I mean? It says on it, only those worthy of this power 
And then he went and had to make his own Starbreaker battle axe. And so they have very interesting bits and pieces of the comic books and a little bit weird because they didn't build up to it in the way that the comic books did, where it really was a shattering event to be like, yeah. wow, Thor can't be Thor anymore. What's next? And Beta Ray Bill and whatever else uh, uh, over the course of time has happened. Hats off to Walt Simonson, by the way, for writing like four years of some of the best Thor stories there ever were. Another guy that had done great work previously, but then when he arrived on Thor, it was like, this guy Bam. really gets it. He gets mythology. He gets that this is bigger than just street crime and stuff like that. How many issues included that little insert of Surtur going doom with the video and he like right. forging the uh, anyway? <laughs> I like I, I did like the Thor movie. It had some good humor and stuff, but I think I like Ragnarok a little better. My problem with it is the same as I had with the other Thor movies is I thought all of them were a little too short and that they could have made it even a deeper story. They seemed to rush it. We had the God Butcher, but, but did we ever see him really killing a God? Like 4,000. We're not going to see any of that. Just uh, there's every Thor movie. I felt there could have been just 10 more minutes of a little thing here and there to make it the story more intense and deeper. It did feel like a comic book. All of them did. Yeah. But it felt like lighthearted comet books that weren't as deep as they could have been. And I felt that way about all four of them. Honestly, that's a great observation. I think I agree. You know what I mean? For the God Butcher being just that, so dangerous that, you know, what gods are immortal. But this guy can take them out with his necro sword, sword and stuff yeah. like that. There could have been much more build as to the level of threat that he represents. And I thought it was a good, if you will, origin and culmination of him. That it that was all done. Yeah. In the movie. And Christian Bale, like unrecognizable. This yes. isn't Christian Bale from Batman with a raspy voice. He really transforms himself. He into was this so good. Desperate guy. You know what I mean? So I it's there. I uh I liked it and I think I agree that there could have been more to it. I don't know. I like the fact that it really was a Marvel movie. One of the things that we always contrast between Marvel and DC is it really has the right flow for sense of humor to alleviate some of the pressure and then back to the action yes Ta taika watiti i think was the yes director. oh i love his I movies i hope i pronounce his name no disrespect intended he's really good at those not just a big laugh but little throwaway comments embedded into other scenes because it really is if you're in combat i think that's like a recognized trope is that you have to do something to right. relieve this incredible bone crunching tension and core is continually the guy that's given that little release. Not that one, you know, when he's trying to figure out how to whistle and save everyone, and he can't seem to quite get it right. Well, so, yeah, I mean, he was just a face at that point. So <laughs> just a face, exactly. So anyway, I, that I really liked, and I'm, I, though you said an embarrassment of riches, a glut. I'm looking forward to everything that's coming up. I'm looking Yo, forward God, to yes. Wakanda Forever. I'm looking forward to it, the TV series. It is sometimes wow. I really don't want to be watching as much TV as is being presented. So how am I going to fit in the latest Star Wars, the latest Ms. Marvel, the latest it, when they come out, I, as you, I think I've told you, I hardly ever binge watch. And yet when I look at, well, I want to watch the next episode of each of four different series. That's four hours a night. I don't watch television for four hours a night. Right. I've taken to, while I'm working on something important up here, I'll have it kind of on my left screen. And but, that's its own, well, really should get my full attention. But I got shit to do. I got stuff right. I have to get done. Well, so go back a couple episodes and we were talking about organization and scheduling projects 
and all the apps that can help with that. So you exactly. can schedule your, and it sounds really weird, but I actually have started to do that at times. It's like, look, if I get to an end of an evening, I'm always going to have something to work on. And if I work until 10, 11 at night, and I feel like all I'm doing is working. So I want to go do something. But if I wait until spur of the moment, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll just watch this. And then I'm like, oh, I should have watched such and such, or I should have watched this. So I actually have started keeping track of it and scheduling my fun free time sometimes as to what, okay, I haven't read for five nights. So I'm going to read and I'm going to read this tonight and I'm going to do it for a minimum of an hour and a half. And it sounds like you're scheduling your time, but it frees me up and I actually do it and I can relax. <laughs> yeah. I don't know that I'm scheduling my time, but I'm keeping lists of what I don't want to miss you know, and ongoing. And as the list grows, this is a weird thing <laughs> just finished watching i'm up to date with doctor who i finished watching all all up until the very latest christmas special that they always have you know, where there might be a transition and stuff like that and it was not only a joy but a relief you know what i mean i feel like i'm obligated as a geek every single doctor <laughs> who when they keep releasing them as a season and i'm like wow there's however many 10 13 however many episodes while I'm working my through them, I'm really enjoying them. But it's, if I get to the end of this, I can take something off my list of all the things that I want to be watching. My Netflix queue is regularly at 500. There are so many things yes. that I really don't want to lose track of. And I think I've told you this before. There are some things where I don't just do it on the basis of what I really want to watch the most. I'll look and say what's going away. And I'll make sure that I watch those things before they become unavailable. So sometimes I'm watching, not a B-movie, but definitely not what I most wanted to watch, but I wanted to not just say, and now I right. can't watch it because that sucks too. So I find a balance between all of that little wiggy-woogie, how to schedule your time. <laughs> Speaking of Doctor Who, though, they released a timeline of upcoming projects and movies and shows and stuff. And I just barely saw it and glanced at it. So I need to go look in... But I'm like, I haven't looked at it either. That's I was it. like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on. But I love that they're jumping on this and that's what people are doing. Let's, you know, up Doctor Who again. Because seriously, after it's been, what, 13 or so years since the ninth Doctor, you'd think it'd start dying a little bit again. But they're like exploding with stuff they want to do. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> For all of the Doctor Who has gone on as long as it has, I think there's only been the one spinoff, right? There's been Torchwood. There's been other movies that were like Peter Cushing was in a couple and that kind of stuff. There was Sarah but, Jane Adventures also. Oh, you're right. Thank you. The Adventures of Sarah Jane. You're exactly right. And yeah. actually, I haven't seen all those. Oh, curse you for making me <laughs> add something to my list. Oh, it's hard to find. They're hard to get a hold of. I'll have to look for that. If it's not available on streaming, then it is. Can I add it to my Netflix queue? And then there's a cycling through them and stuff like that. I'll tell you, <laughs> this. I was well into Torchwood before I realized, oh, that's an anagram of Doctor Who. I'm not kidding. I like, didn't I realize that, that myself. Things, That's you know awesome. I mean? Yeah. Wow. Oh, <laughs> I should have used that as a trivia. <laughs> I should have asked you exactly because, like, long ago it was like Mr. Mojo Rising. Oh, that's Jim Morrison. Yeah. I see things all the time. I'm very wordplay y, but it took me until I was into watching Torchwood. And they'd had references too that this is the place that, that was the Doctor Who monitoring system and stuff right, like that. Right. Maybe what they needed also was Sarah Jane is a good enough character that people really would watch her in a spinoff. And same with John Barrowman, Captain Jack. God. Maybe that's what they need is, has there been any other companions? Who would have been? Maybe Billy Piper? Maybe she would have been a companion that people would have followed in her own episodes. 
it's hard to think of who's been uh, so distinctive that well, they the, would draw their own audience. Why don't know? they do like adventures and put like multiple years of companions together into a group that adventure? That would be cool. Exactly. That's but, but you know what this really means? What the ultimate meaning of this is? <laughs> now we got to subscribe to BritBox. <laughs> See, and it's, the fact that they were very smart about they they had existing contracts and it was various places and you kind of had to follow it because it changed depending on who they licensed it to and then they said let's do this all ourselves yeah so yes it really might be that and actually at one point I was like I really want to get this because there's certain things that I wanted to see I think I've talked about the Lavender Hill mob movies there's a particular what is it studio Ashlyn or something like that maybe it'll pop out that. They really made a very distinctive kind of gentle, understated humor. They were often caper movies. They were, here's where someone's going to play every role in the movie. There's five different uh, royals that are getting knocked off so that the last royal can get the inheritance. And of course, why can't I think of his name? He plays all of them and very wonderfully distinctly. This is the doddering old dowager. This is the rake. And so that I really would like to that's from the 50s. They're not easy to find either. It'd be worth getting BritBox for just a couple months to capture all of those that otherwise I will never be able to find. Them. You right. know what I mean? I'm pretty sure those were some of the ones that were advertised as being, here's the reason to subscribe, because we got some. The thing with a lot of these is, you remember when, we, and I know I'm not the only one saying this anymore, though I think I said it like 15 years ago, but we got rid of cable because it was expensive and there were so many things we never watched and blah, 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 blah. And you had to add on all the good cool stations. So we got rid of it because we got all these great streaming, which now you have to pay for and they're consolidating them. So you can go to Amazon and subscribe to BritBox. And whoa, look at that. It's just like cable. As I mentioned, what I've had to get good at is I tend to like subscribe and then let it run. But what I need to do is say, if I'm going to get Paramount, I'm going to watch the hell out of everything I want to see on Paramount and then cancel it. Right. That is a benefit. 120 bucks. I want to pay 20 bucks and get what I want and be done. So same with Apple TV, same with BritBox. There's any number of other specialists that have really good distinctive shows, but that's not a reason to get a year's worth of TV. You know, when next time that there's Ted Lasso, I'm going to resubscribe to Apple right. and watch the heck out of it and then let it go again, I think. Unless they get better and better about adding, Netflix always has cool new stuff coming in. So does Amazon. Those are ones that I have as permanent because there's such a wealth of things there. Amazon Prime has its own other benefits. But each of the other individual things, like you're saying, I don't want it to be, oh, I lost track. And then I ended up paying another 50 well, bucks that I meant to. You almost can't get rid of Paramount anymore because it's like every other month there's a new Star Trek series now. See what, they know what they're doing. Yeah, people in in boardrooms going, how can we evict the American? Absolutely, <laughs> so, Mr. Burns in each studio. Yes, so. <laughs> he's really rich because he works for all of them. <laughs> so before we go, give me your recommendation about this doomsday book you mentioned. Uh, so another thing I've been realizing is I've read a lot of stuff, but I haven't read everything. And one of the things I've not been great about is there really are Hugo and Nebula Award winners over the course of time. And now that I'm in my 60s, there's been 60 years worth that I've probably read a third of them. So once in a while, you consult those lists of what were the best books for each of the various different years. Connie Willis has won a couple times. She won for the Doomsday Book, and she won for To Say Nothing of the Dog, if I remember correctly. And I just, after having read about somebody else saying, hey, there's nothing else like this. It really is worth the time to read it and so forth. It's a nice thick one. It's got stuff. And I just, once in a while, I like to not say, what do we already 
to have more of that. It's, let's try somebody new. I've, so Connie Willis is my latest. I got those two books, Fond of a Reasonable Use Condition and stuff like that. And the reason that I love it already is it's subtle. Instead of saying, here we are on a starship rocketing into space, and they kind of is all exposition. Instead, it's very much good dialogue between academicians and technicians and all that kind of stuff. But they keep on using words that they're not quite familiar with. And then over the course of time, you realize what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. Oh, this is about time travel and how time travel is dangerous. And you got to have a ranking of the various different time periods as to the butterfly effect. If you go back there and change anything, we could all be apes instead of human beings because we change the future. And so I love the fact that I already have characters that I care about and the way in which they're talking about that this is not an easy thing to do. It's actually very complex and very parameterized. And you have to do big math in order to figure out all of those things are pushing many buttons as to I'm looking forward to finding out what this is about, how it works, what happens to these people. And it's cleverly written. And I just love that where it's like, she's going to surprise me. One of my prime things is after you've read all kinds of books, you're aware that there's 36 basic plots. And by about a quarter of the way into the book, you can say, oh, this is plot number 22, where the guy gets the <laughs> but only after extenuating. And it's just cool to be like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I am curious as hell. So nice. the Doomsday book, very good stuff. Connie, what? Put a link to it then. There we uh, go. The, uh, that's one of our things, recommending stuff you may not have seen, heard, read, whatever. Exactly. And we'll see so, what's coming up with Sandman and with just that. It's, I'm curious and willing to give all kinds of things the benefit of the doubt as to it will break my heart if it's oh this is like a fucking cartoon it's so much better than, than, than they could be so much better we'll right see. Okay. yeah all right man hey, all right take care good as one. always have a great weekend okay we'll do. yeah I, we are having a hot dog roast tonight i haven't had a s'more this year i got our <laughs> cabin ready and yeah we're gonna have a good evening Sounds great. Americana, man. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. Okay. But I won't be watching anything while doing that. No electricity up there. Exactly. <laughs> it's good to do that, to give yourself, yes. like when I go hiking in the mountains, Colleen teases me about when I check for signal, but it's not because I really want to check. It's because, man, I'm in the middle of Theodore Roosevelt National Park in North Dakota, and I still get signal here. It's an amusement. It's not like I got to check my email. Right. So. Absolutely. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. This has been the Relentless Geekery Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and go give us a review. Give us some likes. It would help a lot. Check out our website, RelentlessGeekery.com, where we have links to our Facebook page, Join the Conversation, and go check out our YouTube page, where we have the video of this and other episodes. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.